Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Good morning, Grace Fellowship. What a gift it is to worship with you. I got lost backstage in worship there. Didn't know it was time for me to come out. So give me just a moment, okay? I'd say stand and greet, but in the age of COVID, that's not the right thing to say. So say hi to someone across the worship center there. Wave to each other. Yeah, that's it. Somebody's having a good time down here. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us, okay? Father, I acknowledge before you that I have nothing to offer in and of myself. And honestly, truth be told, my body is extremely tired. But your spirit is so willing. So I ask now in the precious name of Jesus that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people. And that you would guide us together in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You are our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. We ask that your kingdom come, that your will be done right here in this place as it is in heaven. We thank you for providing our daily bread. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to understand your forgiveness and that that would move through us in such a way that we would forgive each other. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who protects us from the evil one. We ask, Lord, you help us to see the snares of the evil one, the temptation set before us today, God, and that you would deliver us from that evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We pray this in the precious name of Yeshua. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I have the honor this morning of walking you through some of the things that we're going to be doing here over the next few weeks. And none of these are just events, so I want you to understand that. These are important things for us to attend if we can. So um, would you kind of say this with me out loud, please, this verse, which is kind of our key verse for our time together. Would you say that with me out loud? If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So we've talked about these three truths. It's a time for us to wake up. It's a time for us to weep. It's a time for us to go to war. The message I bring to you today is the same, but it's just a little more severe. So I just want you to know that what the Lord has laid on me today has a spirit of severity behind it that will help us to understand what we're facing in our country, in our culture, in our lives, and in the church of Jesus. 
You know, we've talked about this season of Elul and the season of Teshuvah, an accounting of the soul, which for the Jew happened every year, starting with Rosh Hashanah, actually at this one place called the, the Ten Days of Awe. But we're in this month of Elul now, and the season of Teshuvah is a time of the return, to, for us to return. So right now we're entering into, pretty soon, these Ten Days of Awe, starting in the 18th with Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of the Trumpets. And so I'm going to move that slide forward. If you don't have this card already, it is available to you out in um, the area here walking in the foyer. Those online, you can find this on the website, gfcshrewsbury.org. And um, it's under Sermon Resources, and that will give you all the times and dates of our sacred gatherings. I want to go through them. The first one is this, the Feast of the Trumpets. This will be this Friday evening at 7 o'clock. We'll be here for a couple hours, at least. You're free to come and, and go as you'd like. But here we'll be spending time in word, worship, and prayer together. Um, this is a very important sacred gathering for us together. So please do all that you can to be with us this coming Friday. In addition, we've added an event on Saturday, the day following this, Saturday the 19th. We're going to have two showings of a movie called Before the Wrath. This is a movie that we've watched together as a staff. I'm going to play you the trailer here in a few minutes. We're going to be showing it at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon and 7 o'clock in the evening. Now, the reason why we think this film is very important is because it helps us to understand the wedding feast for a Galilean. And you tie that wedding feast for a Galilean to the words that Jesus said, and it becomes a profound message about his return. I'm going to go ahead and show you the trailer here quick. Now, by the way, those of you online, due to copyright, you won't be seeing this trailer. You can dial it up at some other point before the wrath of trailer, but we're just going to be blanking you out for a minute or two. Sorry about that, but it's necessary. Let's go ahead and take a look at the trailer. So this film is available for you to rent or purchase on Amazon. You can find it there. However, we will be watching it together here at Grace at 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. We think it's really important as the body of Christ that we understand some of the things that are being revealed in this film together. So we hope you can join us either one of those times or come for both if you'd like. Okay, so following that, so we're at Friday now, Feast of the Trumpets. We're here at 7 o'clock, 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. for Before the Wrath. And then Sunday morning, we're going to do communion together on that Sunday, which is the 20th. We're going to prepare for communion today. And we're going to prepare for communion a little differently than we have in the past. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. On um, the 21st then through the 25th, we're going to have... Five days of solemn assemblies here at Grace Fellowship Church. We're going to learn, learn about the solemn assembly today. These will be at 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, Monday through Friday, and then 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, Monday through Friday. So we want you to make as many of these as you possibly can. It's just a time for us to come together for an hour each day and to pray and repent. Now, the elders have also decided that we are going to be fasting during these times. And so we're going to fast from Monday through Friday from 9 to 5. So we're just taking out the noon meal. It's an eight-hour fast. And then we're going to do a longer fast on the simulcast day. So here we're going to be fasting from 9 to 9. And so if you want to join us in those fasts, there's information. The time is on the website. You can join us in that fasting. This is the simulcast then on September 26th, the return, where we'll be here simulcasting from D.C. for those 12 hours. And we want you to do everything you can to make, make that time, okay? 
In addition then, um, on Sunday, we'll have a message where we're pointing to the principles of blood covenant. And on Monday night then, we'll be closing the season of gatherings on Monday 20, uh, 28th at 7 o'clock. That's for the Day of Atonement um, or Yom Kippur. So that's a lot. It's a lot. And there's a lot going on here at Grace, but I do want you to understand why we're coming together today. So we're going to be looking together at the solemn assembly today from the book of Joel. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can open up to the book of Joel. We're going to try and make it through a fair amount of scripture today, so kind of hold on to your seats, okay? How many of you have read the book of Joel before, just by show of hands? Okay, few. It's not a book that you would typically pick up. I don't know why, but we just don't typically pick it up. Um, but Joel was a minor prophet, and prophets, you know, are called to warn God's people. We're called to challenge God's people. The prophetic is to challenge God's people, to speak the word of God. But they're also to bring warning to God's people. Prophets were never very popular people in the Old Testament. Because how many of you like to be warned in such a way that you need to change your life? Anybody? And, and these guys were pretty severe. Um, they were filled with the fire of God in such a way that they were called to challenge the people of God and to warn them about impending judgment. Now, a lot of us kind of shudder at that word judgment. We're going to talk more about that today. But I want you to understand that in the prophet of Joel, this book, we're going to learn about the solemn assembly. Now, many of us have probably even never heard of a solemn assembly. And, and wouldn't that be the case because the enemy would want to keep this a secret from us. Because there's something that God is doing throughout the Bible on solemn assemblies that he longs for us to know. They're all over the Bible, and with them are revivals. Revivals all under the Bible, all over the Bible, the Old Testament and the New. And, and part of that revival is often a solemn assembly. There's four factors that typically are indicative that a solemn assembly and potential revival are coming. Here's the first one, a tragic moral decline among God's people. Every solemn assembly, every revival that came as a result of that, it was preceded by a period of extreme moral decline among God's people. They came with a righteous judgment from God. Old Testament revivals and Old Testament solemn assemblies, what preceded them was often a word of an impending judgment that was coming to the people of God. And the prophetic would speak in to that. In the context of this, then number three was there was always a raising up of immensely burdened leadership. Leadership that had heavy hearts for the people of God. Leadership that felt the mantle and the weight of that mantle in such a way that they were compelled to do everything they could to warn God's people. I want you to know that I'm carrying some of that this morning. I've been carrying that for weeks now. I've been carrying that for months now. And it seems to be increasing to the point where sometimes I don't even feel I can get up off the floor. And maybe that's where God wants to keep me. But there are others, and this is why we're pointing to this national rising up of leadership. Uh, people like James Dobson and Jonathan Kahn and Franklin Graham and Alveda King and others who are now being called by God to gather a solemn assembly. 
It's very important that we understand what this is. Throughout Scripture, you see solemn assemblies under Moses, under David, under Asa, under Jehoshaphat, under Hezekiel, Josiah, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and of course under Joel, who we're going to talk about today. The fourth point in a solemn assembly is there always seemed to be some extraordinary action that needed to take place. The first one was the actual solemn assembly. Do you know that in these solemn assemblies, all of God's people came together, all of God's people. That was even those little babies that were brought and little children came to the solemn assembly and all of them, all of God's people stood silent before God and they all wept before God. Today we're going to look at Joel and his description and word about Solomon's assembly. So if you turn there with me now, I'm going to read from chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. This is very important for you to understand because the word of the Lord is what we need to hear. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but you don't need to hear from Jeff Smith this morning. You need to hear from God. And in your heart of hearts, you are hungry for a word from God. However, that word often comes with a sting, with a punch, with even a slap or a kick. And none of us really want that. But you got to understand something up front. God is love. Can you say that to me? With me. God is love. Yeah, bear with me this morning. I am fatigued, but Jesus is here. Hallelujah, right? All right, so say it after me. God is love. love. He is love. love. But he's holy. Thank you. I didn't mean for you to recant all that stuff, but that was awesome. So the word of the law, the word of love, the word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. You got to understand it that way. Because as it gets more severe, you'll tend to forget that he's love. Verse 2, hear this, you elders. That's us. All you who live in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let the children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. This is something that Israel was so good at doing at times, was passing along the stories of God's faithfulness. Verse 4, What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. And what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. You have to understand what's happening here. The prophet is speaking and using locusts as a way to describe God's impending judgment. His coming judgment. These aren't the locusts, by the way, that were sent against Pharaoh. These are locusts that are coming against God's people. You've got to understand something. When God sends locusts against you, he's really for you, but he's sending locusts against you. Wake up, you drunkards. I think I'm onto the next slide. Yeah. These are those that are lulled into numbness and slumber with sensuality and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded by my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. 
This is a picture of desolation. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. That's pretty sad. It's a young woman who's been waiting to marry a young man who she's been betrothed to for her whole life, from, her, from the time she was little. And it's just mourn as if you've lost that husband-to-be. Weep, wail. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning. Those who minister before the Lord, the fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. And the oil, olive oil, fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree. All the fields, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joys is withered away. Now, we'll read some of that. And we kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, so there's a problem with produce. (laughs) No, this is an agrarian culture. You have to understand, God's speaking into an agrarian culture. Their very life is the land which they farm. Their very life are these things that you're hearing about. Olive oil, grain offerings, drink offerings, vineyards. This is their very life. And he's saying, it's all going to dry up. It's all going to go away. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn, wail. You who minister before the altar. What was sackcloth? Sackcloth was something that people would wear. It was an animal skin that was used for a sack. And it was very, very uncomfortable. They would dress in sackcloth and then put ashes, pour ashes on their head, and they would often sit in a big pile of ashes. Why? Why would they do this? So that the outside reality would remind them of the true inward reality. That they would dress in such a way that they would feel the pain of this animal's skin against theirs and that they would understand that was a true indication of their condition before God. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. That's for those of us in my role and in the elders' role and in leadership roles. They would spend the whole night in sackcloth For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Listen. Declare a holy fast. Call a solemn assembly. Highlight that, underline that, circle that. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord together. He's saying, call all God's people together. Come before him and weep. Declare a holy fast, a time of abstinence from food primarily, so that you can get closer to God. Alas, for that day, the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. So Joel is saying, look, the day of the Lord is at hand. His wrath is coming against you, His judgment is coming against you and you better wake up and you better weep 
Because if not, you're going to have a significant loss in this war right now. If you don't wake up, if you don't weep before him, if you don't seek him, like you've never sought him before, there's stuff coming that you don't want to have come. So I want you to understand in this first part of Joel, we're just going to look at three little pieces. The first one is, I want you to hear it. Can you say, hear it after me? Hear Hear what? You got to hear the word of God. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. We need to hear a word from God. Now look, When we talk about the word of God, we talk about the inspired scriptures, the holy word of God. Those words that he has left us are not just ink on a page, but they are alive, the scripture says. The Holy Spirit brings life to the word of God. The Israelite had the word of God. They had the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of the Bible, the law. And that's what they looked at as the word of God. But they also looked to the prophetic as the word of God. So when they were saying the word of God has not been heard in the land for X amount of years, what they were saying is no one as a prophet has been raised up to speak to us. It's not that they didn't have the oracles. It's not that they didn't have the written word. They were just not hearing the word of God through the people of God. That's called the prophetic. We in the evangelical community kind of cringe a little bit at the prophetic because we get worried Especially when someone says a word and they say, thus saith the Lord. And we go, really? Doesn't sound like the Lord to me. This is why we have to test the spirits. This is why we have to test everything that is spoken against the written word of God. This is why when somebody says, I think I have a word from God. First of all, we need to invite it. We need to say, yes, please bring it. But then we need to test it. How do we test it? The first way we test it is against the written word of God. And then we test it in the context of the people of God. We do this all the time here in teams at Grace. When someone brings a word, whether the senior leadership team or the elder team or the Sunday services team or whatever team it might be, what we do is first say, is that in line with the word of God? Then we secondly say, what are the people of God hearing together? You know what so often happens, right, Chris? We're sitting there and someone speaks, like Ben speaks at the table and we're listening and we go, well, that was from God. That was from God. You see, we have the testimony of the people of God bearing witness to the word of God. And we need more and more prophets to be raised up in our midst. Why? We need to hear from God. We do have the oracles. Yes, we read those oracles. We hear God in our private place together in that word of God. We hear God together today in the word of God. But we need more and more who are willing to trust God to listen and speak the word. And we need to hear that word together. It must never conflict with the word of God. It's immediately thrown out if it does. But we must not forget that God works through his people to speak. So we need to hear it. We also need to see it. So say that with me. See it. See what? We need to see the signs of God's impending judgment. That's a hard word. You see, the prophet Joel, man, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, and they've been wandering around in sin. I'm going to tell you what they've been like in a few minutes here. They look a little bit like us. 
I just got to be honest. And he says, look, has anything like this ever happened in your days or the days of your ancestors? Can I ask you a question with what's happening in our world right now? Has anything ever happened like what's happening today in your lifetime? How about in your parents' lifetime? No. No, in our nation, we are seeing unprecedented things unfold daily. And this prophet is speaking to us today. Has anything like this ever happened before? Pay attention. Stay awake. Something's happening. Just this week, over 560 fires in California and West incinerated over 1,000 homes. Up to 20 people lost their lives. You know, 100 of those largest fires had burned over 4.5 million acres of land. They're out of control. You know, just this week, California changed their laws about having sex with children. Apparently, a 21-year-old now can have sex with an 11-year-old without having to register as a sex offender. That's left up to the judge. On The Daily Show, Trevor Noah says that this week, the gender reveal parties should only happen when a child is old enough to tell their parents what gender they are. So, parents, when you have a baby, you can no longer release the pink balloons or the blue ones. You've got to wait till the kid's old enough to tell you whether they're a boy or a girl. You can't tell that anymore. Netflix went ahead with releasing cuties, which is based on 11-year-old girls grinding and exposing themselves, being in numerous sexual and provocative postures, encouraging pedophilia. Don't listen to their lies about why they released it. They went ahead. And can I tell you something? Don't watch it. I watched it because I had to talk to you about it this morning. Can I tell you something? I wanted to throw up. Never have I seen anything like that. While riots and looting and injury continue to occur throughout the nation in some cities like Portland being three months into the rioting, three months into the rioting, they're saying there's no end in sight. In addition to that, I saw a video this week where hundreds of people are marching down the streets of Charlotte, North Carolina, and they are shouting, F your Jesus, F you Jesus. I mean, are we messed up yet? I mean, like, do I need to go on? All you have to do is read the news. All you have to do is pick up the newspaper and remember many of us, many of us are not like Nehemiah because we're keeping our heads in the sand and we're saying, well, as a good Christian, I don't really want to think about that stuff. Listen to me. You got to hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Do not put your head in the sand. Now look, read this one a hundred more times than you read this one. But you gotta read the signs of the time. You have to understand that evil is on the increase on a national level. And when evil is on the increase on a national level, watch out. Because God's impending judgment is coming on that nation. Now look, 
We have to understand that God calls us to hear the word of God, to see the signs of God impending judgment. But we also have to say it. Say that. Say it. And you go, say what? Say what? You got to say, I'm really tired this morning, but God's faithful. So look, you got to say the story of God's faithfulness, mercy, and grace. You got to say it, man. You got to proclaim it. He's good. He's faithful. He's filled with mercy and loving grace, ready to forgive, ready to restore, ready to heal, ready to buy back. Like he's there, ready, willing, and able. God is faithful. God is faithful. So prophets warn God's people about his impending judgment. They bring the word of God, but then they say, but God is ready. He's willing. He's able. Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Look, his faithfulness is so important for us to remember, especially in times of great evil and great destruction. And people of God, that's where we are now. That's where we are. Why do we have to remember the story of God's faithfulness? Well, there's at least two reasons. And here's the first one. It's going to help you trust him in the midst of your current circumstances. Look, we're facing unprecedented things, which means we have no reference points for what we're facing right now. But can I tell you something? The scripture has all those same reference points. When you look at the stories of God's people historically, they have gotten themselves deep into the weeds as a nation. They've gotten themselves into horrible evil, horrible, horrible, horrible evil, not unlike what we're reading about right here. And you need to read those stories and understand his faithfulness in the context of that time. Why? So you can trust him in these current circumstances. Let faith arise. We've got to call on God and let our faith in him arise. Now look, there's every reason to understand why your faith is weary and worn out. I was talking to a dear friend just the other day. And we were talking about this very thing about God's people returning to God. And that friend just shook his head and said, I don't think we're going to do it. I don't think we've had enough pain. And I just wanted to fall on my face. Look, look, I have faith in Jesus and us together. I have faith that Jesus is going to break our hearts together. I have faith that God is doing something. For if not, why would be these leaders coming to the the mall on the same day? If not, why would God not be raising up a whole group of people around the return and then lay it upon Franklin Graham's heart on the same day to do a prayer march throughout all of Washington, D.C.? You see, I see those things as signs that God is with us and God is for us and God is in us, right? You have to understand this for if not, you go home and you're so clinically depressed, you just want to call in the closet and pull covers over your head. Anybody want to do that? Crawl in a hole, man. I felt like that. But then God shows me he's with us. He's for us. He's in us. And historically, this is the way God has moved. We can trust him in our current circumstances, but we also will know what we're supposed to do. There's a part for us to play people of God. And it is an integral part. 
The only way we're going to make it past God's impending judgment, the only way we're going to see God restore and redeem is by his grace. However, there is a part for us to play. So we got to know what to do. And this is one of the reasons why we need to remember these stories. Listen to this verse from 1 Chronicles 12. And this is talking about a time of great urgency. It's when Saul's kingdom was going to be turned over to David. That's pretty intense. And so you got Judah carrying 6,800 armed men into battle. Simeon, 7,100 warriors ready for, ready for battle. Levi, 4,600. Aaron, 3,700 with 22 officers. Saul's tribe, 3,000, most of who remained loyal to Saul's house up until that point in time. From Ephraim, brave warriors, 20,800 brave warriors from Ephraim. Half the tribe of Manasseh was designated by name, 18,000. And then in verse 32... This is in 1 Chronicles 12. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. If I am counted anywhere among those number of men, I am deeply honored and humbled by that. But can I tell you, we at Grace Fellowship Church are waiting for words from our national leaders to understand together what God would have us do. So do we have this all mapped out? No. But we are waiting on the Lord and we are hearing from the Lord and we are following him one day, one step at a time. And there are men in our midst by the grace of God called the elders of Grace Fellowship Church who are seeking his face. And we are gifted with men who are humble before God, who understand the times and hear from God about what we should do. Now, Joel was a man like that. He was a prophet called by God who understood the times. He saw the signs of impending judgment. He knew the word of God and he knew what they should do. Now look, what we need to do together is simple, but it's not easy. Apart from God, it's actually impossible. But it's simple. There's not too many parts to it. You know, some of us might say, Jeff, I don't know, this is a little doom and gloom message for me this morning. Can you just tell me something that's a little more encouraging? I can. Jesus loves you like crazy. I can tell you this. If you're saved, you're in him for eternity, and you're going to go home and be with him forever. But you know what we've done in the church? We've taken that message and we thought that somehow just because we're saved for eternity that we're now on a temporal level saved from God's judgment here on earth. Can I tell you something? That's not true about us. That's not true about us. Some might say, well, I'm saved. I have nothing to worry about. God has me. He loves me. I shouldn't be concerned myself with such things. In other words, no skin off my back. Do you realize in those four short little statements, all I used was first-person personal pronouns? I, me, mine, and myself. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, those words should smack you like a heresy in your heart. Because that's not the heart of God. Let me read the phrase to you again. I'm saved. I have nothing to worry about. God has me. God loves me. I shouldn't concern myself with such things. Jeez, I'm getting depressed. I really don't want to be depressed. No skin off of my back. I'm going home to be with God forever. Now look, while that last statement is true, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are going home to be with him forever. These kinds of thoughts can fall completely short. 
of what God has for us as his people. First of all, as his people, we don't think as individuals anymore. We think corporately. We think together, us. We think in we's, us is we, us. We think together about us together. And we think about all people because God loves all people. And we focus primarily on the glory of God and the coming of his kingdom. You see, the truth is, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's all about him. It's all about him. So when we hear the word of God and we see these signs of impending judgment coming, right away our thoughts need to turn to Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. God, how would you have us live for your glory? How would you have us live as your people for your namesake? For if my people who are called by my name stop, that means more than you think it does. If my people who are called by my name, do you understand how good God is? Do you understand how holy God is? Do you understand that his desire is to reveal his heart to all people so that they would come to him? And do you understand something else? We together are his ambassadors. We are called to reflect his image to the world around us. That is our mantle. That is our life. Our purpose is to glorify God by being his ambassadors together. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Can I tell you the state of God's people during the time of Joel? They were prosperous and they were complacent. That typically goes hand in hand, don't you think? The more prosperous I become, the more I can think like the rich fool. Oh, I can just rest now. I can just, well, tally around. I can, I can kind of play with things here on earth. I can focus on all these things around me that I can enjoy. And you know what happens as God's people? We become prosperous and then complacent. This was true of the people at the time of Joel. They started taking God for granted. They had turned to self-centeredness and self-absorption. They had turned to idolatry. They had turned to sin. Is this sounding familiar to anyone? We gotta wake up. We gotta weep. And we gotta start going to war, people of God. Can I tell you something that I've been really convicted of of late? I and we laugh at sin. This is a travesty, but we do it all the time. Now, I was able to trace it back because most of you know that I'm a recovered alcoholic. I've been 36 years without alcohol by the grace of God. Right? Praise God. But I remember when I was little, you know what was funny on TV? Was it drunk? A drunk was funny on TV, right? Drunks kind of hobbled around and everybody'd laugh and they were just drunk on spirits and they were really funny. Hey, laugh at the drunk. But yet God's weeping. Why? Because he has so much more for us. You know, as I grew older, being a drunk, no matter what, was funny, but being a lust addict was. Anybody remember Jack Tripper on Three's Company? Now I'm showing my age. Please with me, older folks. How many people remember Jack Tripper on Three's Company? 
remember Jack, he'd do Pratt Falls and fall over and laugh because he was Googling over women. He was always enamored with how they looked and he was sexualizing them. He was objectifying them. And guess what? The laugh tracks in the background would play. And I laughed right along with them. Guess what? Objectifying a daughter or a son of God is something to weep over. It's not something to laugh over. I want to ask you to do this this week as you begin your inventory, because all of us got to start an inventory. Now's the time. If you haven't already been doing it, now's the time. The elders have been doing this. We spent a good chunk of our meeting just the other day, Ben, right? By the Spirit of God, didn't even really plan it. We looked at a little list of sins. And we went around the room and we allowed the Holy Spirit to level us. And we confessed our sins to each other and we prayed that we might be healed, that God would be lifted up. We didn't laugh. I want you to ask yourself, how much do I laugh at my own sin? How much do I laugh at the sin of others? But during those times, should I be crying rather than I be laughing? A lot of times I'd laugh because I'm just uncomfortable. But God wants us to weep. Especially when we realize how prosperous he's made us and yet how complacent we've become. Joel warned them that this kind of lifestyle would inevitably bring about God's righteous judgment. Why? Because God is a righteous judge. God is holy in every way. He never, ever, ever gets anything wrong. He is always right. Listen to these words of King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, who, who was prosperous and complacent before God who was very, very prosperous and extremely complacent, and he finally gets knocked on his can, and he's driven out into a field to eat grass like a wild animal for a number of years. In other words, he loses his sanity by the grace of God. He finally gets low enough to look up, and he looks up to heaven and he says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Can you say that underline in bold part with me? And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Has God ever humbled you? Yes, a thousand ways, a million times. Listen, people of God, God wants to humble us together now. Now is the time. There's no waiting. There's no like, okay, God, well, can we hold off on this for a few months? Because frankly, like this is my season for doing fill in the blank. No, now's the time. And this is what Joel is saying to the people of God. Now is the time Hear the word of God. See the signs of his impending judgment. And let's come together in a spirit of confession before God, in a spirit of brokenness before God. God brings his righteous judgment because he is a righteous God, holy in every way. But God brings his righteous judgment for another reason. And I got to always swing back to this one because he's love. Because he loves you enough to put you on your can. I always love the fact that he knocked Paul off of his donkey 
onto his donkey. Some of you got it. Some of you didn't think it was funny. But he wants to knock us together onto our donkey, our corporate donkey. God is warning us, people of God. There's no question about it. As much as I can read the signs of the time, and as much as the people around me that I entrust because Jesus lives in them, they say, now's the time. Hear the word of the Lord. See the signs of his coming judgment. And understand his faithfulness to God's people. Because if you understand how faithful he is, then we need to take Joel's warning and put it down into today and do what he is telling us to do. So Joel goes on and gives some instruction to the people of God. And here are a few of them. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Verse 11, despair you farmers, wail you vine growers. Verse 13, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn, wail, and minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth. And verse 14, declare a holy fast, a solemn assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land and the house of God and cry out to the Lord together. Folks, these are not just little happenings at Grace Fellowship Church. The 26th is not just another thing on your calendar. It is a solemn assembly. And God is calling us to come together as his people in humility before him in light of what we see coming and signs of his impending judgment against this nation. The instructions are clear. In verse 15, alas, that day for the day of the Lord is near and it will come like destruction from the Almighty. You see, Joel addresses the judgment of God in three places, in the past, in the near present, and in the future. And he's saying, we together can change God's mind. That sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Isn't it a little crazy to say we together can affect what God is going to do? That, that sounds kind of crazy, but let me ask you a question. Why do you pray for things? Why do you pray for things? Well, because you believe that your faith has an active, some kind of active ability in what God is doing. There's some kind of active agent that your faith, coupled with God's almighty grace, can do. Jesus went into towns and he performed many miracles. But you know, he walked into one town and the scripture says this, he could not perform miracles there. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Whoa, back off. Jesus couldn't perform miracles there? And the scripture gives due to their lack of faith. Do you understand your faith plays this incredibly active part in God's coming kingdom? Together, we can actually change God's mind. Listen to these words from chapter 2. Actually, I don't know that I'm in the right place, so I'm going to... It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Is that up there? No. There it is. I'm going to say it again. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on the holy hill. That's the shofar that you're hearing here, by the way. Let all who live in the land tremble. 
For the day of the Lord is coming. What he's saying is, God's impending judgment is at the door. It's not here yet. It's not here yet, but it's coming. I can see the signs. He's there. This judgment is coming against us. Blow the alarm, sound the trumpet, and let's all come together and tremble together. Because listen, he's going to give you a picture now of what's going to happen if we do not repent. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading against across the mountain, a large and mighty army comes such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden, but behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes. Does this describe any pictures that you are seeing in the news right now? Yeah, Jeff, but he's talking about locusts. Now, remember, locusts symbolize God's impending judgment. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots that leap over the mountaintops, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for the battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors, they scale walls like soldiers, they all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other, each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city, they run along the wall, they climb into houses like thieves, they enter through windows. Before them, the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, and the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. And now a very startling verse. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. This is God's army? Can I tell you something? God is sovereign. He uses all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So you know what he does? He actually even controls evil. He doesn't make evil happen, but he's sovereign over it. And you know what he does? He uses it. Now, not everything comes from him because God is not the source of evil. He's not the author of evil and God does not tempt. We know that very well. But you know what? He uses evil for good. And this army that's marching us against us right now, It's really for us, guys. You know why? Because it's going to get us on our faces before our God. The question is, will we submit to God now? Has it been enough pain? Do we understand and do we see the signs? What is Joel saying in these verses? He's saying the first thing, God is not going to allow this to continue. He's not going to allow it to continue. He's not going to, his intervention is coming. It's right around the corner. And look, it's not going to be pleasant and it's not going to be pretty. I don't know if you read those words and feel warm fuzzies inside, but it says every face will be pale. That means, folks, we're getting ready to face some devastation. But God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. And the question before us right now, is it bad enough? Does it have to get a whole lot worse before we return to him? But Joel says, there is a solution. Listen, even now, declares the Lord, even now, even though you've waited this long, people of God, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And listen to this, tear your hearts not your clothes. 
That word rend, rend your heart and not your garments. Let me help you understand something. When Israel faced Israelite faced great sigh, great great distress, foreboding, something that they felt was this in this place of despair. There's no hope. They would grab their clothing and they would tear it in half. They would rip their garments to represent this this despair, this hopeless that they were facing. And, and first of all, God is saying to us, look, don't make outward appearances the reality. It's got to be about your heart. Don't go around tearing your clothing and not let your heart go unaffected. Let your heart be torn with the things that tear my heart up. Again, many of us are like, Jeff, I'm numb. I can't feel anything. Pray that God would help you to see and feel what you need to see and feel. God, I'm numb. I don't even know how to weep. God, I don't even know what I should weep over. Open my eyes and open my heart. Can I tell you something? If you say this prayer with earnestness, God will hear you. God will hear you. And he will answer your cries. And then we cry together. But here's the other thing about the outer garment and the tearing of the garment. You know, the priest's garments were sewn in a way that they would never tear accidentally. I want you to think about this. Aaron, who's a priest, he lost his son. He's in a great place of despair and wailing and weeping. And Moses turns to him and says, don't, don't tear your robe or surely you will die. Well, why is it that Aaron, as a priest, is not allowed to tear his robe like anybody else would be allowed to tear his robe? And I didn't really understand these words. I was like, God, why is that? And he said, Jeff, what's a priest? Well, a priest is a guy who intercesses before God. And he's like, yeah, well, why? He says, well, because... I said, well, because he's the one who has access to you. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He said, exactly. He said, anyone who ever has access to me never has reason for despair. There is always hope for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So look, it's not, it's not about outward appearances. It's about an inward reality. Don't go around tearing your clothes and, and dress in sackcloth and ashes if you're not really feeling the brokenness of God in your heart. He says, let me tear your heart up with the things that tear my heart up. But also know this, don't tear your garments because there is still hope in me. And this is what Joel is trying to say. He says, look, listen, he says, return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. He relents from sending calamity. So this is the first thing he says is, God is merciful. Say that, please. You see, God is filled with mercy. Mercy is the withholding of a just penalty. When we have a just penalty coming to us, when God withholds that just penalty, that's called mercy. And he's saying God is merciful. And then in verse 14, he says, who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Now listen, you got to say this after me. God is filled with grace. So mercy is the withholding of a just penalty. Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. It is unmerited favor. So this is what Joel says. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call together a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, even those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Whoa. Wait a second. Are you saying here that if somebody is ready to get married, 
And, and they're ready to go get married and she's in her chamber in her wedding gown just to bail on the wedding and come to the sacred assembly. That's exactly what God is saying. He's saying, drop everything. This is a crisis for the glory of God. And we must come together in prayer and repentance now and cry out, spare your people, Lord. It says in the scripture, do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is your God? Why are we doing this? For the glory of God alone. See, if he does relent, if he does actually leave a blessing in place, we give all glory, all honor, praise, everything to him. For he alone is worthy. And there needs to be a new testimony of our great God in this generation now. This is what God is posturing us for. Do you understand? If we return to him now, what God can do? He will write a new story for the glory of God alone. He will write a new testimony and put a new song on our lips and in our hearts that we might sing to him. It's for your namesake, God. Don't make your inheritance an object of scorn. Why should they say among the peoples, where is your God? Now listen, listen to what God says after that. He kind of goes on. He says, I will restore the years the locusts have destroyed. So Joel gives us a picture of where they are. Joel gives us a picture of what's coming if we don't repent and don't actually come to God. But Joel also gives us a beautiful picture of what's going to happen if we do return to him. If we do return to him, and I know I'm late on time, but I'm just going to read. This is chapter 2, verse 18, and I'm going to read some through 27. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Remember, this is their livelihoods. They are an agrarian culture. This doesn't mean a lot to you because you go to the giant supermarket. They didn't do that. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea and its stench will go up and its smell will rise. How many of you would like to see evil thrown into the sea and die to the point where it smells? Do you understand this is what God's promising? He says, I'm going to reverse the course of that. I'm going to turn that around. And if you are in Christ, in your heart of hearts, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God says, you will be satisfied. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals. He even talks to the animals. For the pastures in the wilderness are now becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring's rains as before. The fleshing floors will be filled with grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And in verse 25, I will restore the years the locusts have destroyed. Can I tell you something? This nation was founded deeply in a belief in Jesus Christ. And this nation thrived because the vast majority of our mothers and fathers depended on God for everything. Do you believe God can buy us back where we are now? 
Do you believe he can redeem us? That's what redemption means. It means to buy back. Do you, this country has been turned over to Satan, man. Do you believe God can buy us back from Satan together? And some of you are like, yes. And others are like, I don't think so. That's a lack of faith, man. And I'm right there with you. Believe. I, I, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. God, help me to believe that you can buy us back together as a land. That's redemption. But he says, not only am I going to stop at redemption, I'm going to restore. I'm going to take everything that was destroyed. I'm going to take everything that was messed up. And your cities are going to shine like lights for me. Your people, God, are going to dance in the streets for your glory alone. Do you understand? You're going to see the people of God rise up and reclaim the land. We're going to take this land back for the glory of God. This is the picture of what God can do. He says, you'll have plenty to eat until you're full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other God before me. Never again will my people be shamed. Do you believe that God can do this in our region, in our state, and in our nation? You see, God's saying, I'm ready, I'm able, I'm willing. But he gives us these words. Return to me, and I will return to you. So how do we do this? Well, That's what our sacred assemblies are all about. So please, clear out your calendars as much as you can. Do everything you can to be here on the 26th, but also these other ones, the one coming up, Feast of Tabernacles. Please do everything you can. Feast of Trumpets, not Tabernacles. This is also a little handout that I prepared for you. This is um, something I'll email out to those online, and we'll get it online. It's not there yet, but it's out there. It's a little green sheet of paper. And this is the Believer's Covenant of Repentance and Prayer. This came from the return website, and I added on the back the little inventory list that we used in elder meetings that Ben Lawrence had brought to us in the elder meeting. That's also on the back there. I want you to start going to the Lord and examining and testing your ways. That's not me. It's God that wants us to do this. But you've got to understand something. As we do this, stuff is going to come up. Next week, we're taking communion together. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Listen. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, hold on to that, eat and drink judgment on themselves. These are pretty strong words. What's Jesus saying here? By the way, do you know where the body of Christ is today? Yeah, it's sitting in our seats. It's right here. This is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is everybody who calls on Jesus in spirit and in truth. You know, I know some people in churches that don't really fit that bill. It doesn't matter. God longs for you to be at peace with all people as much as it depends on you. So here's the first charge this week, and you've got to take this seriously. You ready to listen? You ready to listen up? Get clean in your relationships. I want you to go to people who maybe you haven't talked to for years. I want you to apologize to people whom you've hurt. I want you to ask people to forgive you. I want you to be a minister of reconciliation for the glory of God. And God wants us to repent together. Folks, I have the honor always of just going a little bit before this body because God starts stirring things in my soul. I don't even know why he does. 
I'm out here weeks ago going and cleaning up relationships, not knowing that I'd be calling to you to this today. But can I tell you, there's people that I've sat down with that I've wept with because of my sin and because of theirs too. It's not my job to take their inventory, but it is my job to go before God and take my own. So here's the thing. If you've been sitting in a marriage and you've been hating each other, get it cleaned up by the grace of God. Get on your faces together and plead the blood of Jesus over your marriage. Confess your sins to each other and pray that you might be healed. If you have a broken relationship with a daughter or with a son or with a parent, a mom or a dad, go, pray first and then go and plead the blood of Jesus over that relationship. Well, Jeff, it's toxic. I'm not telling you you have to reconcile with them because sometimes that's not, that's not even possible. But what I am telling you is you need to own your part. Confess your part. Trust God to lead you in such a way that you would be working on this, the, we will be working on this together in preparation for next week. Is that understood? Amen. We have our marching orders. We have to talk to the Lord about getting clean. Listen to these words as I prepare to pray and invite the worship team to come back out. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent, and even leave behind a blessing. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you. We thank you that you are speaking your word to us, Lord, through the prophet Joel. And I just pray, Lord, through me and through each other, God, that we would listen very carefully to your word, Lord. We would hear it. Lord, help us to see the signs of the time and your coming judgment. We know you are a righteous judge. We also know your love, Lord God. But we also know that your desire is to relent, that we would return to you. And then you will return to us. And then you will redeem and you will restore. And Lord Jesus, help us to always remember the stories of your faithfulness, your mercy and your grace. And to speak these stories in such a way that we trust you and we see your hand at work. We bow before you now as our king. We commit these sacred assemblies to you now, starting this coming Friday. And we acknowledge if your people, who are called by your name, will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. 
We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.